Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Michael Sidgwick in the brief absence of Adam Wilborn. And I am joined by fellow Dadly Boy Michael Hamflit to review everything that took place on last night's AEW Dynamite show. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing... Make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. We preview and review AEW Dynamite, WWE, SmackDown, NXT, pay-per-views. We hold wrestling interviews. We conduct roundtable discussions and host a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. In addition, of course, I need to get this all sorted out muscle memory-wise ahead of next week. Rampage will get mm. and reviewed imminently. And as a result, we probably won't go as in-depth on certain developments uh, that took place on tonight's Dynamite show because we're dropping another pod on that very subject tomorrow. But on the subject of Dynamite, on the whole, Hamlet, what did you make of it? I think this show was a testament to how hot AEW is because it was completely missable and yet completely enjoyable. I uh, honestly felt like a lot of this didn't feel like it was even trying to be as hot as some weeks have been. That's not me making an excuse for it. It was far from an all-timer dynamite, like a long, long way removed from this, even some of the standards that you would come to expect from a, a decent one. Um, and yet, you know, it was still an enjoyable watch. I was still relatively pleased with some of the in-ring and some of the developments. It just wasn't hot. Um, and that's maybe why some of my feelings throughout the entire review are probably going to be a little bit conflicted. Yeah, I have to agree. This is the first Dynamite since the return to the road that wasn't suffixed with anything like Homecoming or Road Rager or Fighter Fest or Fight for the Fallen. This was a regular Dynamite, and sometimes these Dynamite shows need to be regular, and they can't be blow-away special shows every single time. It just goes against the function of what episodic TV is. You could go back and watch, and I was going to say, I'm not going to put Dynamite on the level of these shows. At best, I absolutely will. Go back and watch Wire Sopranos, by anything Breaking Bad, by any great show will have very low-key episodes that function to register like seismic events that have happened mm. plot-wise, um, character-wise. Character Some shows just have to build, and this mainly function to build towards Rampage, which I feel is the more big concern of the week, given that it's the premiere. That's absolutely fine. If on this evidence, the three hours of actual AEW television proper providing that rampage on Friday meets its enormous potential. This three-hour thing, they've got it locked, which is the thing I was happiest with on a show. So I was happier with the stuff between the lines than the lines itself, but there mm. was certain stuff on the show. I mean, you still got a killer match. You still got a killer promo. You still got a killer angle. You got some inessential fluff, of course, but on the subject of a killer match, we open, actually, before we open with that match, we actually open with MGF and Wardley. And again, this is exactly what I'm talking about. 
you need episodes like this to slowly inform the heft of events that are to come. AEW have been building very quietly, very subtly, very astutely tension off and on organically between MJF and Wardlow. Hark your mind back to All Out 2020. Wardlow botches his interruption spot. He distracts the referee by botching throwing the ring on purpose, of course. John Moxley uses the paradigm shift that had been outlawed in the bill. Another nod back to MGF's brilliant tactics, as we discover later in the night, of course. Um, and MGF loses the match and indeed his first match. This gets paid off later in the show. And in a wonderful little touch, MGF reminds Wardlow and indeed the viewer that he messed up it all out. And in fact, he also messed up in the cage match against Cody. In a wonderful heel bit, what a complete dickhead Maxwell Jacob Friedman is. And it's just so simple. The Apple stuff. I adore <laughs> the Apple stuff here because you use one little object and you get two characters over and you get two like themes and feelings over. MGF, just like the arsehole that he is. He's rich, but you can't buy class. So he eats an apple with his mouth open. It sounds disgusting. Oh. So good at being a heel. Like when he was slobbering at Revolution in the match against the Bucks, he's chewing an apple with his mouth open. He's just a detestable character. When he puts the apple in Wardlow's hand after reminding him, do not mess up, and how wonderfully ironic that came to be later in the show, Wardlow, because he's a big hard bastard, crushes said apple. You got any further thoughts before we put Dante Martin over to the moon? It's just, just gross, just gross stuff from a gross bastard. Talking while eating is awful. It's like if me and you sat here eating our dinner, doing a podcast, nobody would want to listen to it because it just makes everybody's skin crawl. And MJF like found a way to introduce that to pro wrestling television. Even the fact that you handed Wardlow the apple bites first. So like, you know, like Wardlow's got MJF's spittle on his hand. And look at the time. I know it's like, I was going to say Florida. I always pick on Florida. I shouldn't. But look at the times we're living in. You don't want somebody spit the apple in your hand, even if you're, you're there to crush it. Just, I, just grim, brilliant bastards tricks from MJF, the exact types he should play. And not as it would be otherwise, a tease for Carlito to be one of the labors. You know, like there's far better use of an apple than teasing a John Laurinaitis era mid-carder. There are going to be some ruthless aggression truthers all over your ass <laughs> in, the, in the comments to this podcast. Um, but my God, we've transitioned from that opening promo to the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, out to the Demon the Elite um, music. Shout out to Andy Murray. It's his favorite musical composition of all time. <laughs> and they take on the brothers Seidel and Dante Martin. This match was tremendous. This match was tremendous. It's something approaching, I would say, a three and three quarter star level until Dante Martin puts like three quarter of the star straight on it. Um, early on, we get some lovely um, trios sequences between the elite, um, in which Kenny Omega leapfrogs over Matt Jackson to deliver a Kataro crusher. Matt Seidel's lucha-tinged offense just looks incredible. Matt Seidel has an underrated role in this because everything he did looked fantastic as well. Mm. All of this match essentially functioned for that Dante Martin hot tag. And when he mm -hmm. got into the ring, he enters an instantly iconic, lung-bursting, standout performance, which you have to give the elite credit. They are genre masters for a reason. Their positioning here was just absolutely godlike expert stuff. They did everything possible to make this 
shooting star shine all the more. This sequence between Dante Martin and Kenny Omega, I'm not going to go into full in-depth because you'd have pages and pages of notes. The action was that fast. It was that electrifying. It was that convoluted. But the basic gist is Dante Martin is in such incredible form that he can counter everything that Kenny Omega has to throw at him. He can maneuver himself around the ring with a sort of physical impossibility that even in 2021, when a lot of people are numb to this style of pro wrestling as sort of oxymoronic as that can be, he still finds a way to unhinge jaws from everyone in the crowd. And that crowd went ballistic. It really felt like they were watching a moment in time unfold, um, to use a cliche. Eventually, his exuberance gets the best of him. Kenny Omega goes for the one-winged angel. He flips out, much like a car that did at Wrestle Kingdom 11. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal spot, but he's in the ring with Kenny Omega. It doesn't matter how prodigious he is. It doesn't matter how great his vertical leap is. It doesn't matter how athletic he is. He succumbs to the one-winged angel in the end. But, in fact, he does not. There are two ways to interpret this. One, and this is how commentary sold it, but with Kenny Omega, there's always an additional layer. Commentary sold it like they, and again, this works so well, even if, even if in fact my theory is a reach. It ain't that deep as I sometimes get told on Twitter. The idea is he flattens him with a one-winged angel, but nah, this little bastard, like he's outshined us. He's trying to mug us off. Let's give him a triple BTE trigger and really show him that we are not to be messed with and you'll never enter a performance like this against us again. I love the potential implication that Kenny Omega had a little bit of doubt that if he was going to pin this Dante Martin in this form, that one-winged angel might not have been good enough. Again, this is just a reach, but I do genuinely think that Kenny Omega really thinks to this level of depth about his performance. Before we get to the post-match angle, obviously the elite win, what did you think of the match? Spectacular, for all the reasons pretty much that you've covered. There is a, um, a fine line in pro wrestling, and it's Really hard to articulate as a fan because a lot of it is rooted in the dark arts, but there is a fine line between simply getting your in and getting your in in the way that makes you a massive star in a single night or in a single performance. And if everyone knew the formula, everybody would do it. And that's why it's so hard to master. It's, it's obviously so much about the people you're in the ring with. It's about the deployment and construction of how you get that in. And this was absolutely the latter. A star-making night for... Um, Dante, in exactly the way that we would have hoped beyond getting the out and out getting the pinfall over Omega to set up that singles match that we'd maybe talked about on the preview. Um, but they sold everybody a dummy on it because that flip out for the two count was the moment. And that's often all we ask for in these matches, isn't it? Is not the actual win, but the moment. You need one point in a match to buy that somebody might win unexpectedly, and they achieved that here, which allowed for that tremendous finish. And yeah, I for what it's worth. Um, I don't know if people will give you the old uh, touch grace treatment for thinking like that. (laughs) But surely, of all the times, to start dropping into the story that Kenny Omega is doubting the efficiency of the one-winged angel, surely that time is now when everybody and their mother are pitching Hangman Page kicking out of it. This is exactly the point in the story you drop in this one little detail of Kenny Omega's certainty that used to come with the one-winged angel is starting to falter a little bit. Um, It doesn't matter for this match, and maybe that wasn't the direct sort of context here, but drop it in here, drop it in two more times, and then all of a sudden it matters against Hangman Page, doesn't it? And that's 
how you kind of build to that moment mattering or either either and the thing is it's either it kicks out or it doesn't and still this is all a bit like that story is all the better for them planting this seed here um i love this i love how else do you put over a threat of a guy that you don't know much about by wanting to leave him dead in a gutter rather than simply pinning him for the one, two, three, even if it's a one night thing because you're pissed off that he had the goal to step to you and your super talented mate, then cool. But if it was something a bit more long-term storytelling and not in the patronizing way we use those terms, brilliant. So it's a winner or a win. It's like take whichever version of it you want. Yeah, I have to agree. And again, if in fact he was slowly sort of teasing out that detail, what a perfect way to not do a finisher kick out. What a perfect way to put over someone by not doing a finisher kick out. That might have been like a Schrodinger's kick out. That's how <laughs> I would put yeah. this, if in fact it's true. Uh, before we get to the post-match segment, I just need to put over Kenny Omega because he put this match together, quite obviously. I want to put them over two more times and then we get to the post-match. One, on the preview yesterday, I want to apologise. Um, I said that I reckon this match was basically... Um, they saw how over Dante Martin's leap over the turnbuckle got, and they wanted to mimic it on national television to get him that little bit more over. Didn't have to do it. He's got way more in his locker. Mm-hmm. That was great. And Kenny Omega, there's literally no one in professional wrestling history who can combine for me the drama of athletic exhilaration, just pulsating action, and just unbelievable suspense and drama of who's going to win a match. And he does it without doing the whole kick-out shock, kick-out shock face stuff. Just, uh, it's kind of reminding me of one more point I wanted to make as well. Was this the night that Top Flight became the team to beat the Young Bucks? Because I think it was. I think this was a perfect, even the Young Bucks can now sell being threatened enough to think, well, or it's not just a walking angel. Abby's E-Trigger has to become a, a triple, a BTV trigger to put this guy away. Like, when top flight are good to go again, is that not suddenly the match as a result of Dante Martin's big night? They must feel under threat now. I don't know when Darius is back is the only mm. thing, but certainly this match couldn't have done anything more than to establish top flight as challenges or big deals in this uh, division going forward. Um, throughout the match, we are told that Christian Cage is in fact the number one contender um, mm. at all out. I probably should have mentioned that detail um, previously, but regardless... In the post-match, Callis gets in the ring and he wants to do some um, braggadocious stuff. But Christian Cage interrupts. And then just as um, they were about to exchange verbal jabs, the Jurassic Express come into it as well. Um, Christian enters the ring. Callis takes the mic from Christian and he praises him. He says he's got a great finisher. Uh, all-time uh, all favourite Dudley's patter, this, isn't it? All-time is favourite all time favorite Dudley's patter. He says, Kenny Omega can't wait to kick out of it. He goes ah. full dickhead 1990s Scott Hall. A lovely, lovely, lovely little Easter egg gag, but another great way of being a dickhead, even if you don't know the context of the Easter egg, and putting Christian over. And what's great is that Don Callis was like triple corny, He's a corny at his core. He referenced a corny in his promo <laughs> and at the booth and in this promo, like much like Vince McMahon does with attendances, he just decided that there was more people here in the ring. <laughs> and there were more like <laughs> four men. Seven of us or something, was it? Like just ten of us. Piss funny, terrible corny maths. But anyway, he's going on and on and on. Christian takes the mic. 
Don Callis repeats what we've heard at home, but the people haven't in the arena, that Christian Cage is the number one contender all out. And in a bit of a heartbreaking moment for Christian Cage, the crowd chants CM Punk, mm. and then they chant yes, and they might as well have chanted, and he's got the whole world in his hands, because this is basically anybody <laughs> but you, Christian, which is really, I guess it's not that harsh. Part of the problem with this Christian build is that it's been so nice and logical. He's simply, in the sports-based promotion, in which wins and losses matter, a lot of matches to get him to Christian uh, to get him to Kenny Omega. The problem is that those matches, while well worked, have badly lacked in come on, like Wrestle Phoenix or Nick Jackson or Park or someone ace. Mm. So I think that's one of the reasons why Christian Cage is more under than over, but he gets himself over with an absolutely tremendous line. Um Don Callis, the perfect guy to help get Christian Cage over in the scenario. It goes on and on and on. Christian Cage says, Are you finished? You carny piece of shit? <laughs> and it's just his deadpan is so great. The word shh does well to get over because we know we've been numb to it. It's pretty mm-hmm. edgelord at this point. And then in a great little, I've already got them so I can justify doing the, the localized um, cheap pop here. So it's actually, I'm in uh, Pennsylvania. I'm in Pittsburgh, sorry. Well, it's Pennsylvania. Um, I should say you're a Connie Jagoff. <laughs> Jagov's one of those really funny American words. Love I love it. Jagov. I love cack. I love twat. <laughs> and uh, if they go to Boston, I really want Kenny Omega. That's a wicked pisser. <laughs> Let's get away in a cab. <laughs> a wicked pisser. So I love wicked pisser. I love and Jagov's great. Just one of those words. Jagov is simply great. Sounds- you know who deploys Jagov brilliantly? Like weird cut this go and watch friends bloopers and matt leblanc loves it if somebody watches the line or if he wants to kill a scene he'll be like uh he'll just say hey, a bunch of jagoffs and like there he is calling like ross and chandler jagoffs in monica's apartment and like it just shouldn't work but it totally does like he's a big proponent of jagoff that's absolutely brilliant less brilliant but it's not as if they've just he's just arrived himself on the stage and decided despite no win loss records or continuity he's made some matches both of them spoke in the big Tony Khan and Christian <laughs> yeah. Cage gets um, his match and Jurassic Express also get their match. I could do with less of that, but at the same time, if I'm Tony Khan, I'm putting myself over even for a second on this show. But it's not just that match. Scott Damore also had a conversation with Christian Cage earlier that day and he told him that he's getting the Impact Wrestling World title shot on Friday. We're not going to talk about this I think this is really interesting to talk about, but you'll have to wait until tomorrow for the deadly discussion on this one. But on the debut rampage, the very first match, it's going to be Christian Cage versus Kenny Omega for the Impact World title on Friday. This is pretty much where the uh, segment ends. Um, Christian Cage and Jungle Boy haven't got what they wanted, much to the annoyance of the elite. Go from the ramp. But um, Kenny Omega's got a question because <laughs> people are enthused that Jurassic Express have um, the title shot, which happens next week on Dynamite. Again, we will preview next week. There's lots to get through here. And they start singing Jungle Boy's entrance theme. Oh, 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 oh. you know what it is. I can't do it as well as Taz. <laughs> Kenny Omega. <laughs> and I hope he ad-libbed this because it's just so piss funny. And even if he's guessed that people are going to sing it, it's still funny to think about. <laughs> he goes to the crowd. Sorry, were you singing? Oh, 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 oh. Or were you going... No, <laughs> quality Simpsons reference, and um, I do genuinely think that Kenny Omega thinks very deeply. I don't think he thinks this deeply, but on the night that 
Dante Martin gets made. Kenny Omega, and this is just a cute coincidental detail, references a Simpsons line from an episode entitled A Star Is Burns. So there's that. Oh, that's nice. I don't I think thinking. it's that deep, bro, but this is nice. Is it not potentially helpful that Kenny Omega can also start saying the word no in frustration to the fans, as if there needs to be another wrestler that can say yes in uh, response to that no as the week's gone? I have a lot of thoughts on this, but you've made a reasonable point about our need for content for the Rampage preview. So I'll try and keep them brief, but I, I do want to talk a lot more about that, Christian. I'm going to mention this here because I, I didn't think this landed, really, if I'm honest. Um, the crowd obviously weren't on board with Christian. We've gone over that in, for a lot of reasons as to why that might be. Um, didn't love... You couldn't ignore the kind of mum and dad nature of the... Everybody's gone and asked for permission for title shot. I, I, like, just keep out with that. I, you're right. Like, you probably would want to put yourself over from time to time, but just don't want to hear know, about it. Really. It's not great. Um, I, I, one take on the Impact World title thing, if I may. Um, when Don Callis first showed up, basically hiding in plain sight as a sleeper agent for Kenny Omega. Uh, all out, was it? When Omega beat Hangman Page. Full game. Full game, thank you. Um, so he's there as a commentator to see Kenny Omega, ostensibly. Um, Scott Demore, of course, turns up later on to see the oversee the Impact tag title match as a commentator. I thought it was not... I didn't think it was a wasted scene that Christian Cage made this huge song and dance about how the AW title was the richest prize in the game. And then seconds later said he was going to challenge for the Impact one. Again, this is slightly Rampage preview stuff. Is somebody from Impact going to screw Christian on Friday for talking down to that belt when he knew Scott Demore was in the building? He's got his title shot, then he's tacitly buried the belt. They're saying, there's one prize, Kenny. That over your shoulder, that's the, that is the prize in this business. On Friday, I'm going to take that piece of tin. Like, there is, <laughs> is Kenny Omega going to find himself strangely with an ally from Impact Wrestling because they'd rather the lesser of two evils, so the story's going to go, that drags Christian through the forbidden door. And this is the big bit away from All Out. Is that All Out match a red herring? We get like it's weird. Oh, AW booking, you know, their All Out main event on television a few days earlier. They're not a hot shotting company. They're always thinking. There's always a detailed company. They they make plans. This is not a WWE. Have the match now and then get it again on Sunday. This is different. Is Christian Cage going to be taken out of that All Out match and dragged to Impact as a result of his this? Like he's quite open disrespect of the Impact title in this segment. I don't know, Jesus, but I'm going to go full Triple H because that's good preview content. <laughs> leave, leave, the, leave the pimp jacket backstage. Yes, come on, save something for tomorrow. Right, I, might, anyway. I, might, I might get smashed up with a knife in the meantime. You know, I might not get a second bite. Um, it, it, people need to go back and watch that John Cena, Jesus match. I ah. described it right in an article of my favourite lines I've ever written as, you know, like the embryonic stage of a serial killer when they're younger, yeah. like kill animals. <laughs> satisfy their bloodlust and then they'll go and like kill like adults and stuff later pull his legs off just like a daddy long legs this is the first embryonic stage of cena just giving people nout he gives this guy <laughs> nout i'm gonna punch you in your star wound all right i'm just gonna keep your ass rubbish match don't wear your fancy hat for that because you could win the rumble brother <laughs> not after that he's not anyway <laughs> um following that matching angle one two punch and um, we get to another great striker uh, Malachi Black has an inset pre-tape promo. I don't know why I call it inset pre-tape. It's just a pre-tape promo. And um, mm-hmm. he talks about laying out Cody Rhodes, and Cody's got one foot on the grave, and uh, <laughs> talks more. 
Yeah, I'm getting inhabited by the spirit of Wilborn here. Oh, I don't believe it. <laughs> hey, he's happy in NXT now. It's fine. I can, um, <laughs> I can do his job. Um, he t- talks something about the um, House of Black. Um, and he also says that when people argue with him, they'll have to start speaking quietly because they'll realize they're in the conversation with God. Um, what do you make of this? Yeah, good. Um, I am... Um... Like once a week, we get Malachi Black, which is never going to be for everybody, but being the best version of the Alistair Black character, ultimately. All the stuff, it feels currently like all the stuff he would want to do with just a tiny bit of the author's hand to stop him doing everything he would want to do. Do you know what I mean? Because this is not his Twitch stream stuff. This has got more substance to it. This is tied to not only his past feud, but the next things he's going to do. Quietly impressed. It's strange with Malachi Black because I always feel like you're kind of one promo or presentation away from disaster. But in the meantime, like this character's like hot as balls at the moment. So I, I just, I don't know. I always feel like they like you are just tiptoeing close to cliched and trite and cheesy. But they haven't done it yet, so all good. All good. What I'm watching, I should just probably learn to stop worrying. Yeah. Two notes, actually. You mentioned how there's a bit of an author's hand, like telling him not to do some stuff. A good one, I, a good one. Yeah, not a good, good one. one. I read an yeah. um, uh, interview with Malachi Black. I'm a Malachi, Malachi Black guy now. Um, <laughs> uh, he was asked about the differences. He's such a, like, what I'm looking for. He's a diplomatic fella, is Malachi Black, Tommy. Um, he was asked by someone or other, sorry for not citing, um, What's the difference between working with Tony Khan and Vince McMahon? It's like, well, one of them's good and one of them's rubbish. He didn't say that at all. He was, no, 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 he didn't really mention Vince McMahon. He was like, the difference really is that um, Tony Khan um, is very enthusiastic, hands-on. Um, he's very trusting. but He's also blunt. He doesn't give you um, hand-waving feedback that you know will never materialize into anything. Um, he won't just say, yeah, yeah, we might get around to doing that, and it never happens. He described Tony Khan as very blunt. So in my head, Malachi Black's like pitched some like really overtly supernatural stuff, and uh, Tony Khan's went, nah, <laughs> nah, you're all right, you're absolutely fine. Second thing, right? You know what Malachi Black could do, and maybe is doing. He's bringing back the lore of the Raven on Sunday night heat. Oh, the seven yes. deadly sins. Seven deadly sins. His bio on, and I think this could be done well. I don't know if it's just the 15-year-old in me who thinks this, right? Actually, I was about, what, 60, whatever. Um, his bio on Twitter reads, Cinia. He's talking a lot about how Cody's excessive pride disgusts him, and he was going to get punished for that um, on Dynamite. Like, we're going to go through the sins, I think. Oh, get in. I can think of a role for Puff. That's all I want. Get him off dark and back on Dynamite. We should just do that anyway. He's absolutely class. Uh, PUF, <laughs> people need to check out his dark match. The brilliant Taz commentary, an absolutely amazing pattern. If I remember, I will link the match um, underneath the Twitter post. We love Puff and Rock Culture Towers, and we want to see more of him. Um, very quick plug for Rose to the Top, and Miro cuts virtually the exact same promo that he cuts every week, and it's still awesome. He describes himself as hot and humble. He says that he's got a mission in life, and that's to satisfy his hot wife over and over again. <laughs> over and over again. She's coming in. She is coming in. And, like, we should probably, like, look forward to it because they're going to get, like, even WWE got these two right for a bit. Yeah. AEW is going to manage them just fine. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's announced that he is going to face, nay, destroy 
This is great. Fuego del Sol. He's got mm-hmm. an absolutely enormous cult following. He's surely going to get a big reaction from said following. Said following are going to get their hearts broken when it is revealed <laughs> that Fuego does not get a contract. But they're not a cruel company, AEW, right? Here's the thing. If, this is a bit of a tangent, if is the worst word because I've had so many idiots in my mentions over the past two years said, oh, if, if WWE did this, you'd love it. Or if, you know, it's like, well, they wouldn't do it because they're incompetent. So mm. I'll be like fair and balanced when the, when the need um, describes it. But if WWE had these players in this city, they would have buried or beaten Baker and he would not have seen Dante Martin because he happens to be in a tag team. So he would just not have seen him. So if, 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 piss off with your ifs. Because AEW doesn't do these ifs that WWE would do because they are not a cruel company. Fans of Fuego del Sol rejoice. They would not tell you, oh, he's going to get a contract if he beats Miro. He's not going to beat Miro. But, like, he's going to get a contract was my takeaway from this. You have to agree with this, Hamza, surely, yeah? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, if he's not got one already, and this is just the fun and games kind of building up to that that moment, I guess. I'm making a capital M moment for that cult following he's got. He's going to get snapped in half, isn't he, by Miro? That's 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 not related to him getting this job, but the job is probably already done for him, which is nice. Like, he's, like they're a listening company. Um, we're going to talk later on about a match graphic for next Wednesday's Dynamite, which highlights why this is a wrestling promotion and NXT is not, Jesus Christ. Um, but, yeah, this is, this is just nice, fundamentally nice. Um, Miro, I say this every week, but it's given me the exact, it's given me identical joy. This is the 2020 John Moxley formula with 2021's edition. He's just a baddie. Like, if they can get one guy a year to basically sell you a fight or sell you the potential of a fight whilst having a belt around their waist, you're good to go. Your champions are going to feel massive. The matches are going to feel big. Worked a dream with Moxley last year, and it's working with Miro now. It's on an episode from a company that often is not that economical with their TV time. They got that right last year. They get this right this year. Yeah, no, it's tremendous stuff. And it's very similar every week, but over and over again, it's just an absolutely <laughs> tremendous line. Um, less tremendous was Daniel Garcia versus Darby Allen. I think this was a very good to very good match in places. I think it was affected by a long commercial break in the middle, um, during which Garcia, because you don't do anything in a commercial break, realistically, um, unless you Wardlow and you just power bomb Chris Jericho about five times. <laughs> awesome, by the way. Um, it never really got going to the level I would expect, um, as you'd expect with a very technically accomplished um, performer like Daniel Garcia. He pretzels Darby Allen throughout. Um, then you get a commercial break, which sags. But the finishing sequence is tremendous. The coffin drop is countered um, with a choke. It's so seamless in its application. Great, but much of the match, which I was expecting to be like a 12 minute technical ripper, verges more on sports entertainment. Which at the time I was thinking, oh, they got this wrong. And then I saw the match graphic for next week and I thought, no, no, no they got this absolutely perfectly right. God damn it. Um, Darby Allen gets the win with the coffin drop after several attempts by 2.0, the renamed Everise to interfere. All that gets quashed in the post match, staying at bat as both of them. And just to skip ahead to Wednesday's preview, I'm sorry, apologies for this. I'm a hypocrite. I want to talk about this. Yeah. Right. Wait, what happens this? When did Everise get released? Was it July or August? 
It was, uh, it was like early July, I think. We're talking like a month, month and a bit ago. Cast your mind back to June after some fairly rubbish. Sting gets interrupted every single week promos. Mm-hmm. They start getting Sting really right. He's awesome at double or nothing. Sting becomes awesome, right? In parallel, we're previewing, reviewing NXT like we do every week, wherever you get your podcasts from. And we're not that high on anything. We recognize what's good if we're not exactly jazzed by it, but we are pissing ourselves at Ever Eyes because week upon week upon week, they are just really funny, really endearing, and we want to see more of them. Can you imagine, Amphlet, in June 2021, I tell you, oh, do you know that in August we're going to get Darby Allen and Sting versus Everise? <laughs> the boys are working Sting. <laughs> I cannot believe it, man. I just, it is every now and then. Um, it's And it's typically a match graphic or a poster for one of those great dynamites. AW shows its reason for being. And this is one of those ones, isn't it? This is a wrestling promotion. And two people that pop to community weekly, as you say, we're like shining lights in the darkness of the CWC every single week. And we're doing everything that is instructed of all those wannabe WWE superstars is to get yourself over, is to maximize your minutes. Even though like the Zack Ryder failure crushed the myth, even though that happened a decade ago, WWE trainees are still told to do that. And ever eyes go and do it. And it's all for nout in the end, cruelly so as well. And uh, they're two of the first pickups from another big batch of releases because even if they can only do the one thing, which is not to discredit their wrestling ability, but primarily they use for their comedic value, um, they get this. And, you know, I've been listening to the boys and uh, for all I know, it's not even the real sting. It might be jumping Jeff Farmer. Um, oh, God, He's going to make an appearance. Of course he is. We're going to get fake sting at some point. Of course he is. Couldn't love this more. And it's funny, you know, to sort of tie this back to the match when you sort of opened with, um, hey, I'm not really sure about this one, and then closed with, I realised it was veering towards sports entertainment. I was like, and that's why I'm a Daniel Garcia guy now, because I just got... Um, I loved watching Darby Allen get bent double by Daniel Garcia. I loved Garcia getting this specific kind of showcase because it totally worked for me. Um, it wasn't an hour against really quite clearly it was something very different but maybe Garcia can do that just as well and my take from this was bigger picture than it was just isolated to the match how brilliant is it that two years ago that's right 2019 two years ago um MJF was a 22 year old whatever he was and now he's only 24 or 25 and he feels like a long tenured decade-old main eventer in this company because they're so effective at pushing people. And we can already get excited about the new 22-year-olds. Like, I want a Daniel Garcia is all elite graphic. I want the match I've got, which is 2.0, getting a fight sting on telly, on TNT. Like, his first match on TNT since Ric Flair when Nitro finished, and it's against these two. Ever-Rise versus Sting? Ever-Rise rules. And it's just like, and now in the meantime, you've got this new 22-year-old potential prodigy while MJF is literally in the main event, doing main event stuff. And it's like, well, here's the next 22-year-old. It could go that well for him too, because look at the process that these guys are going through. That's what all of this made me think of. Against, like, I guess another one in the form of Darby Allen, somebody else who's, at, like, I don't know Darby Allen's age off the top of my head, but certainly... 27. 27, but, like, in, in terms of TV age, he's two. And when he fought Cody Rhodes, he might as well have been 18 in that draw. You know, like, that's how young they've always presented him. And he's already now, like, main event or tippy-toppy tier sort of thing, Daniel Garcia, the next generation coming in. 
and we're only dealing with guys that are in their early to mid 20s we're not talking about like damien priest getting his shot like north of 35 which is brilliant 38 aye like well not like north of than me of 35 damien yeah. priest aye just i that that was my takeaway from all of this um garcia's gotta get signed doesn't he Yes, absolutely. They'd be mad to not. They'd be mad not to pick him up because he'll be this indie wrestling god. I think as that market returns to normal. I think if anything, knowing that WWE aren't going to get their paws on him given the new recruitment policy, they're probably better off, as you say, letting him like grow that aura on the indies as the new independent wrestling scene god. Because realistically, that seems kind of barren as a large result of AEW's formation. So maybe there's something mm-hmm. in there. Um, probably discussion for another day. But God damn it. This show, while not being blow away great, got to the point because Death Triangle <laughs> were interviewed backstage and again were reminded of what Andrade El Idlo has been doing to play with them. And uh, Pac has decided, you know what? This is a meandering bollocks. It gets more contrived and silly. <laughs> the wacky races of Death Triangle is absolutely rubbish. So let's get to the point. There's a very beautiful hint that the Lucha Bros are heading to a showdown with the Young Bucks. It's been two years since the last two-on-two tag. I watched uh, the one from both, actually, from Double or Nothing and All Out for a project that I'm working on. And both those matches were absolutely incredible. I want to see more of them. And this was the first hint in that direction. But we haven't abandoned the thread with Andrade because Pac has challenged him for All Out. This is basically, are you class or are you rubbish? Because mm. if you do a gentleman's three against Pack, that means you're rubbish, even though technically it's good. Yeah, I mean, is it is it? It's okay for us to fold in Andrade's response promo later. Yeah, on, Christ, which, I don't want to. Still, fucking stunk to be honest. Um, Chavo Guerrero jumping all over Andrade's lines, almost in the way that Andrade had read Chavo's auto cue by mistake. Like I just thought that came across horribly. I didn't think Pack was very good here, but I certainly appreciated the get to the point nature of the angle maybe it's because the content feels so weak is why i i, I didn't tear it like i didn't feel much for the setup to the match but they have created a situation where like look all you gotta do is have a literal match of the year contender and your push is absolutely fine just do that and you'll be absolutely fine like the stakes are enormous the pressure is huge don't wrestle in those stupid trousers again put your tights on and go five stars with pack like that's a lot on the line here but sadly, we are at the point where that's going to be what's required. But they yeah, stand a great chance of doing it. It's 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 like the only reason it's not a dream match is because they've made it not one. And like I think this is one of those times where you just have to accept your lot with, in terms of the match graphic and hope for the best on the night. Strange, like the the, the odd thing about this is though, um, I set a stage for them, let these artists paint, and hope that it's going to be great. Like AW pay per views are not always the best place. Like this could still fail. Like the the workers need to deliver some really really strong work because whether it's due to timing or just sheer length of the pay per views, typically something sinks on these shows. And if it's this, Andrade is goosed. He might be goosed after Saturday, man. He's got a mega a triple mania, and if that isn't mm. class, then my God, oh, this isn't bear thinking about. Uh, we get to the inessential fluff portion of AEW Dynamite. Brief tangent. I watched WCW Nitro. I'm making my way from the post-Bash of the Beach period again, just mm. because it's perfect. I can look at my phone because uh, Mr. Wall Street's on. 
and uh, <laughs> but I can still watch like the hot stuff. Like it's great 21st century rewatch uh, material. And I was reminded watching Lex Luger versus Wall Street last night that, you know, sometimes not everything's going to be absolutely phenomenal. Sometimes you need some very mid stuff to make the phenomenal phenomenal. Uh, this was mid stuff. This was mid stuff. It was very busy. It was cute enough, I guess, in terms of basically the story of the match is Matt Hardy is healing it up. You get your Orange Cassidy interaction of the week. It's quite cute. He gets Matt Hardy's hands, puts them in his pockets um, to stop the delete chance. He does like a backflip or front flip um, does Orange Cassidy only to then lightly graze Matt Hardy in the legs. And I had to rewind this because I know he's on board, but like, is he really? Or is he just, you know, trying to keep a job? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Before we go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a wrestling betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Got a genuinely organic chuckle from um, Jim Ross. Just <laughs> from the um, contrast between the flip and then the kick. It was nice enough. Um, speaking of nice enough, I thought the work between Wheeler Utah and uh, Private Party was quite nice. Mm. And then you got um, Nyla Rose coming down to attack Chris Statlander before their match. And this is a point I want to make more than the match itself, realistically, which was everything ish fourth fun spot you might expect if you like um they've done this with Layla Hirsch and the bunny and now they've done it with Statlander and Nyla Rose and I think there might have been something else the other week but they book women's matches not with an angle but with a tiny little confrontation during the show and I don't think that's on at all um Matt Hardy gets a win which I suppose is I mean is a good 
Does he get anyone any more over, or does he do something more serviceable than you expect? Jury's out on that, or is it? I think he's banged the right. Um, and he wins. What are your thoughts on all of this? If I was all over the place with my uh, rundown, then I guess it reflects what the match was. How how did any viewer, um, like, it's just a fan, which we all are as well. How did any viewer enjoy this, really? How did you have fun watching this? If if you did, tweet me and let me know, because I didn't. And, yeah, I, like, I, you were right to isolate specifically the exchanges between Wheelie uh, and Private Party. I would describe them as slick, and I felt like they gave a match, gave the match, like, its only moments of verve and youthfulness and everything that AEW is supposed to feel like when you're watching it. And I'm not just saying that because Matt Hardy is a veteran. I'm saying it because, like, the angle feels stale as we call bread. Um, none of it matters. You know, like, none of this matters. We talk a lot about the best friends, like, often just being in these never-ending cycles of matches for the occasional big payoff. This was not the occasional big payoff. This was just the middle of one of them cycles. Um, I felt nothing for Matt Hardy standing in the ring with all these tag teams, arms raised at the end. The heels that don't feel dominant, this felt like television time wasted. And that is always so pronounced on a dynamite when there's television time being wasted because the roster's too big and diverse and fun to waste television time with. Um, completely right as well about the, it's, it's, it's probably the third or fourth time you've had this fairly like sterile mid-match attack to set up a match that's already been booked almost as if you forgot to do it the prior week. There's just I know that's not the case, but that's the energy of those kind of attacks. Um, not good. Like, re- like really, really not good. Um, and slightly a-, a minor worry of how they might waste the free time on Dynamite now that Rampage is coming to like. I don't want I don't want like this to be that kind of WCW Thunder portion of Dynamite now they've got extra TV time to play with. Did not like this at all, and I didn't like the intent of it either. It's a worrying omen. Like, look, I like Orange Cassidy enough. I like him a lot, a great deal, actually. But do I need four minutes of somewhat indie action and very busy activity because the Hardy Boys are like an iconic tag team for two years? Like, do I need that in 2021 for that reason? Like, I, I doubt it. There's a, a bigger issue as well um, that I was going to bring up in another match, but it sort of seems just as maybe more so pointed here. Um, I I know that pay-per-views, especially old-fashioned style, are sold on heat. Um, I, it's, it's a little bit too much of a heel-heavy company, AW at the moment, in terms of wins. Like, I think I'm needing more I'm needing more babyface success stories than I'm getting across AEW at the moment. And this is like a bit of a freebie, isn't it? Like, there's one coming later on that I think we're probably both going to... We haven't talked about this, but I sense we're both going to agree on it based on our views in the preview yesterday. Um, Heat he does sell angles and it does sell pay-per-views. I need some, like, good guys to pick up a few more wins. And when you've got, like, free hits like this, like, how are It doesn't help either that your two heels who are winning and winning and winning are so much more over and relevant and exciting than Matt Hardy is. The Elite, Miro, Malachi, Black, like just Matt Hardy's nowhere near that level. And it's, mm. it's, it, the word you use is perfect. It is very much pronounced. Um, what's next on my notes? Shall we go out? No, 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 we've worried about that. And <laughs> um, we get what I genuinely think is a really nice, like, correction, if you like, on what happened in that sort of cursed Santana and Ortiz and FTR match. Um, last week we had Dax Harwood go full, earnest, impassioned, like 
try to really, really hurt my friend, my brother, my family. Like, this isn't over. You've just made it worse. In response, Santana and Ortiz sent, said um, in a really nice pre-tape with really well-chosen close-up shots. You didn't get the underside of the arm of what it must have looked like, but um, you saw a bit of Cash Wheeler's mm. on the side of his the skin on the underside of his uh, forearm, um, like stretched out like an inch, and I was separate like, from his arm. I was, like, <laughs> yeah. I was looking with my head at an angle <laughs> tilted to see if I could see underneath what it looked like. Gross. <laughs> then he saw the blood splatter, like the imagination that this tried to like sort of get you to think about was really tremendous. And Santana and Ortiz simply said, if that happened to me, I would have just uh, taped up and got on with the match and finished it. Like, you're going to get a response. I really hope the next match hits because this they've been given an opportunity at an additional dose of heat here, and I hope they don't squander it. I, I, I disagree. I didn't like this. Um, I, 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 like, I, I like that they're using the imagery. I think wrestling is, we've talked about this before, it's a strange industry where as long as the wrestlers are okay with it, you have to absolutely make the most of these unfortunate accidents. Um, yeah, there was the that, the you know, strap it up, the, you know, grabbed your ball and went home. FTR won. Not only did they see through the match on the night, like it's a bit whingy, baby facey. Like for, like AW don't trade in this normally. And I don't think that was the intent. It was just how I read it. It's like, I, FTR still, still got the job done in spite of I everything. I totally forgot that they won. And that's completely reversed mm. my opinion on this. <laughs> I, just, I just, they don't normally cast those baby faces in the whingy roles because it's such a dislikable trait and WWE are like awful for it. And I just took this as like, what, what's your argument here? FTR did got it out and did get it done in unfavorable circumstances. Yeah. Now that you mention it, this was nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> legitimately, it was. Like, legitimately, it was. Like, it's completely contradicted the events that actually happened, even if those were not ideal and enforced events. Oh, that wasn't good. Um, neither in particular. I mean, I enjoyed it enough for what it was. I get what they were going for here. Um, it's now the Rose versus Chris Statlander. Um, basically, this ends in, what, three to five, four minutes? It's a very short women's match. Um it's a showcase for Chris Statlander ahead of a presumed match against Dr. Britt Baker, potentially even at all out. Um, you get that really great um, apron standing shooting star, is it? Mm, uh, yeah. You get a really nice reversal of um, Nyla Rose's um, massive knee drop um, in which to evade it, um, Chris Statlander walks on her hands. Brilliant. Excellent that. bit of uh, such a, slapstick. Such a, yeah. Sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, like, such a, uh, like, a gifable moment from, like, the women getting so little TV time. That's, people are going to remember that. And that's, like, it's a string to a bow, isn't it? When you've kind of, like, it's maximizing your minute stuff. Totally. Yeah. And, like, they give Nyla Rose something because, like, I really like cruel physical slapstick and comedy because she shows off, essentially, and she gets speared from, like, the most <laughs> bizarre position. She, like, almost got right on her head. But, um... Statlander recovers, drops with a power bomb, and hits her with the um, area 451. Mm. Um, her 450 splash for the finish, and that's your lot. The problem with laying out a match like this is that it's meant to resonate as this huge shock because what Chris Statlander's done is she's just beaten the biggest woman in the division. She's beaten her very quickly, and she's beaten her very quickly after she has, in theory, had a really close and competitive match with Dr. Britt Baker. They are 
taking the piss a bit for me with the booking of this match because it didn't get over as this huge, Jesus Christ, you beat Nyla Rose that emphatically, that quickly, because they don't do enough for the women's division. That was my broad mm. take from all of this. Yeah, you can't um, you can't sort of cheat it. If this was a men's singles division match, it would land exactly as you've described because there would be ranking ramifications that would feed into like three other stories. Just think of Hangman Page losing once to Brian Cage and all the knock-ons that had. You don't stand a chance of booking that in the women's division because it's contender of the month stuff. It's monster of the week in some cases, in the case of Nyla Rose, I guess. Um, yeah, this wasn't bad, but it wasn't effective. So um, it kind of like, it's a nil-nil draw ultimately, isn't it? And I, I just, again, like this going to touch on this a little bit later but um statlander yeah fine as an opponent for Britt baker she's obviously going to try and work up to the level and incorporate a few spots that are going to make the match entertaining on the night but thinking forward to like what we got a little bit later on assuming baker wins at rampage you're in pittsburgh you want heel to come and like get that heat in pittsburgh about statlander challenging Britt Baker in Pittsburgh has got disaster written all over, hasn't it? So she it can't be she can't be for now. She must be for later. Um so so maybe not maybe not like maybe like they've got to take advantage of that crowd for Brit on Friday to set the next heel up for her, haven't they? Like I mean it's Statlander. Statlander's got uh, this um I would basically yeah. they're gonna struggle because Britt Baker's over everywhere, particularly in Pittsburgh based on um the segment we are going to cover imminently. But I would leave well alone. I know they love to shoot angles and shoot angles and remind you what's coming next. I would just have Baker go over as she's obviously going to do. And I would leave Statlander well alone because you don't want people to infer from the reaction she will inevitably get in Pittsburgh to sour on her because mm. just really good baby face, really good prospect. Um, just don't shoot an angle for angle's sake in Pittsburgh. I just think that would be um, a little bit daft. What followed was daft, but in a fun way. The Young Bucks backstage cut a promo. Matt Jackson is enjoying being the smallest tosser on the face of the planet. Mileage might vary on just how insufferable this is. Bye-bye. Just... <laughs> <laughs> of course, Nick ah, Jackson is also uh, doing his best as well. Like, I love them. Like Matt Jackson is so obnoxious that even I, I get just enough of that. I get just enough of that um, from him, um, and he was just on top form. Um, he says that the match against Jurassic Express on Dynamite next week is going to be a layup, and it's such <laughs> an incredible thrill now of, is Nick Jackson going to make a shot? Like, how they made like, a stupid backstage segment to be like an NBA final is absolutely great. It's not, in fact, make the shot because Luchasaurus, I don't know what it's called, takes a basketball out of his <laughs> There's a, probably a basketball term for it. it charges him, maybe? It's an interception? I don't know. It's one of them terms. But he it? intercepts the ball, but there's probably some kind of, like, cool slang that I'm just absolutely not au fait with whatsoever. Um, Nick says, that's a foul. It's like, it doesn't count. Look how <laughs> absurd this is. It's like, when you playing jumpers for goalposts? I went over the post. What does that mean? It just hit the post? Oh, yeah. And it's invisible? Did you have over the post? Over the post. We used to play, God, God, the past was sad. We used to play invisible rounders. Right. So, like, <laughs> imagine someone, like, swings an invisible bat and just says where the ball went, and then somebody says, no, it isn't. I caught it. Well, that's the game over then, isn't it? Like, the, <laughs> because it was down to how willing people were to play along with somebody else's imagination. Thank Christ for the internet and devices. 
God almighty, I want my kids to have a better life than I did. It's no wonder you stopped in. <laughs> That's all I watch so much. Why are you ball, you cheap bastard? Play Kirby? Are we going to play with nothing? Or are we going to watch the one, two, three, kid? Uh, easy. <laughs> anyway, when Nick calls it a foul, Brandon Cutler was like, no, it was all ball. <laughs> and Brandon Cutler is so valuable. I love him so much. He was even better later in the night as well. Um, next, we get a video. Um, this is weird. A little bit weird before the greatness. I uh, get like a video package on Britt Baker and Red Velvet. Hmm. Like it's <laughs> kind of enough, but you've literally done one segment to set it up. What I think what they are trying to accomplish here is to tell you, and they would be much better incorporating my idea and doing a weekly dark and elevation highlights package. But they're basically telling you that they've had a match before. Um, but. Red Velvet has been quietly building up some wins, so she's more of a threat to be taken seriously. And this transitions us to Tony Schiavone presenting um, Britt Baker for an in-ring interview. Um, There's a Pittsburgh Steelers tradition in which the first, um, all the floor seats essentially are waving yellow towels. And when Baker does it herself, the roof comes off the place. Um, She just looks like a goddamn uh, megastar against this backdrop. It's tremendous stuff. The promo, I would say, was probably better delivery in terms of content. I guess that sums up this dynamic and how little juice there is to the feud. We know it exists purely to get Baker the win in Pittsburgh without being a great story in itself. Um, But Baker basically says, um, she alludes without being a heel about it to the fact that Pittsburgh doesn't have the best sporting look, but they do now because I'm a goddamn AEW Women's Champion. And uh, you get a Pretty spectacular DMD because the entire arena is doing it. Red Velvet comes out. They brawl. It looks quite convincing enough, to be honest. Like, the best thing about Red Velvet in an ideal, unideal candidate for this slot, considering she's been really great as a babyface, is that she has a lot of fire, and that was very much um, the case here for this brawl. Uh, What do you think of this segment in general? Yeah, pretty great. Um, Once again as we kind of touched on with Sammy Guevara and countless others, and we will do forever and ever and ever because it's the way you're supposed to do it. Like AEW knows how to book wrestlers in their hometown. So it's great. Um, a very, very, very smart man once said that if you were going to give America an enema, you'd stick the hose right there in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, but Britt Baker cleaned up here because that DMD chant, as usual, I'm doing it as I'm watching on my phone. So I've got a free hand to do the DMD hand gesture to nobody in particular. Um, I I couldn't have felt any higher on Britt Baker yet again. Um, I, I love the, like she comes out in the Pittsburgh colours. She's got that jacket that reminds me of the one that Shane Douglas used to wear with the franchise on the back when he was big into his Pittsburgh <laughs> colour scheme as well. <laughs> Dick Flair. Um, like, I, like all of a sudden, like I'm a Pittsburgh guy. Like I'm a sucker for this local stuff when they've got a colour scheme and when the, somebody's just like earnestly heart on sleeve over in a building in a town. I love it. Um, hell of a video package pitch for your top baby face in red velvet beforehand, which is why fundamentally this is really stupid. Um, I really wish it wasn't her because I really like red velvet. I think they've got something with her. I don't think she's going to suffer long term out of it. I just wish I wasn't seeing this. But the brawl was kind of effective actually um i felt a bit more fire for it which is just enough because it's happening in two days so if they were trying to sell me on a pay-per-view i'd consider it patronizing for a rampage main event and this is a nice flashback to 
way, way, way back when I remember us talking about how, God, it'd really stand them in good stead if they put Riho and Nyla Rose on as Dynamite's first main event. And then we were like, ah, oh, they probably won't, will they? Like, what that would have done for them in hindsight had they have gone with that on night one um, in terms of people's patience with the women's division that they ultimately never got. Um, they're correct in that, at least. Like, I think it's a... It's not a show of goodwill to the division. It's a show that they've still got the right star on top of it by putting Baker and Red Velvet on last. But it's going to be a great response. As you say, she's going to get all like the hometown glory at the end. And it's probably like something nice for the first rampage. Uh, I, it's She's great. The pop was great. It's still not great, is it? No, it's. I don't think it can be great unless they get loads of class heel women and let her be a baby face. I mean, that's where, where we're at. <laughs> Continue to be here every single week. She needs a raft of great heel challenges. Please heal up Serena Deeb. Um, yeah, because otherwise it's just the dissonance. It's mm. everything and informs everything. And more often than not, it just informs like quite a lot of confusion. Um, up next... As gentlemen's three as a match as you'll ever get, if that uh, the Dark Order failed to dethrone Impact World Tag Team Champions, the Good Brothers. Um, it's a match that you can almost see the finish coming a mile away. Dark Order was spotlighted so often and so early that you kind of knew where this was going. But the upshot is that by spotlighting the Dark Order so early and so emphatically is that Shoe Grayson stuff looks absolutely, unbelievably tremendous. Like the best thing about them withholding Kenny Omega, Kenny Omega versus Hangman Page for at least the next pay-per-view cycle is that I just want Kenny Omega to go through the Dark Order because you <laughs> get a John Silver match, which would be a ripper. Evil Uno, totally underrated, and there'll be like a bit of an emotional heft, and I reckon they could do some really good comedic stuff together as well. Mm. My God, Kenny Omega versus Sue Grayson would be absolutely tits, and basically he was the star of a match that I'd probably go two and three quarters if we were ever going to do star ratings on these shows. And the young, uh, the good brothers rather, cheat. The star of the show was Stu Grayson. And then the second star of the show was Brandon Cutler. His facial expressions, being a dick when he's getting come up into being a dick, he is an absolutely phenomenal like comedy performer. And if you watched the early stages of his sort of character, in AEW canon, you'd never have thought it. He's a Dungeons no. and Dragons guy. He was the guy, and I'm going to bury him for it. It was a really affecting moment, but he was two contract cutler, burst into tears. He was, in short, a bit of an earnest dweeb. He is so fantastic. His facial expressions are amazing. His physical flailing is tremendous. And when your Goon undercard heater is the best part of a world tag team title match that about says it all, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I would say so. The um the third star of the match was Dot Gallows because Luke the Puke yet again took about two bumps the entire <laughs> match. Absolute legend. Just want to give like the Kevin Nash shout out to him once a week for being so good at this. Um oh, I didn't really like this outside of the big um Stu Grayson moments, you know. Another case of Oh, man, gives a, gives a good guy, please. Like, gives a baby face win. I think there was they kind of missed an open goal here by not just putting the belt on them as a as a gesture. Um, again, though, like, did some of this exist for Scott Demore to be out there? Uh, now I'm on my impact conspiracy theory high horse, but like, I just thought that was interesting that, that he was there commentating on it. It's 
feels a bit more <laughs> generosity of spirit from AEW towards Impact when there's been very little, if we're being honest. Um, match wasn't great. Good Brothers don't inspire much excitement out of me when I'm seeing them entering for a match other than like our cheeky pops and what we get out of Gallows. Mm, I don't know. I, I, I share your enthusiasm for Omega in the Dark Order, but maybe keep the Good Brothers to the, the promos and popping the boys because this was another one like... I don't know, like, this this Dynamite felt quite fillery. It just, it was slightly troubling that this Dynamite felt like such a filler show on the week that you're introduced in your third hour. We've been crying out for, like, needing more TV time, and I'm, like, looking at my watch a little bit, and thinking, oh, what we got left on this one? Like, I, rather than that, like, that, like, thrill ride that you normally get most weeks. Just a bad luck, I think, more than anything, but you know, like, not, not, not much to this. Yeah, there wasn't much to it at all, if I'm being perfectly honest. Um, but, uh, inside promo... NWA Women's Champion Camille about Layla Hirsch. Not the door you think it is, Camille. Sorry. <laughs> it's a forbidden fire door, maybe. Uh, thoughts on this briefly? Um, the best moment of this feud has already happened, hasn't it? Yeah, uh, visual. The Carly Ray face-to-face was fantastic. That is the match, and let's not pretend it's anything else. It's like, sorry, Camille. Like, the wrestling open world wasn't designed so we could get you versus Layla Hirsch with the best one in the world. Um I'll say this, right? If Of all the things that, like, AEW might as well get the hand in promoting, it's this empowered pay-per-view, isn't it? Because, like, that's going to be a talking point for women's wrestling this year, and it's going to stand up as doing it better than the big leagues. So they might as well try and have a bit of a sideways involvement in it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, we were talking about this because we're just marks who talk about AEW most Thursday mornings, whether we're getting recorded or otherwise. Why did they do this segment after the Britt Baker segment? Oh. Bad scheduling error. Um, we get the much-promised, long-belated apology from QT Marshall and the Nightmare Factory to Tony Schiavone. But in sort of nice little detail, I'm not going to say it's deft, but it is quite nice. If you go back and watch it three weeks ago, I imagine that QT Marshall, as he said on the night, did in fact choose his words carefully because he said there would be an apology. He did not technically state that he was going to apologise to Tony Schiavone because he's got no reason to. He wants Tony Schiavone to apologise to him. Called him a son of a bitch. This lacked heft, in my opinion, because I probably knew somewhere that Tony Schiavone had a kid, but we haven't seen him. Mm. So it's like almost Poochie level, where it's like, oh, who's this new character that you suddenly meant to care about? He said it like once on commentary earlier in the show, didn't he? I forget what match it was. He was like, oh, this show's so hot. My son Chris is here. Like there was just one throwaway line or something. Doesn't look anything like of... that. No. <laughs> Could have shaved him like he's goatee or something. Wasn't a Brock Anderson Did he have moment, a goatee? He might have had a goatee. Full beard, I think. He should have had a goatee. He should have slicked his hair back. He should have said the word telecast in the most beautiful voice. Should have been wearing created. a sports coat. Yeah, sports coat. There's nothing like... One of the reasons, honestly, why I watch Nitro some nights of the week is the way that Tony Schiavone says the word telecast. Telecast, Anything yeah. more beautiful. You know, in Donnie Darko, they say the most beautiful words in the English language to say it together or sell a door. Telecast out of Tony Schiavone. You should have said when, telecast. You should look more like Schiavone. Didn't work. Like, what, when they're out of time, you would believe his apology. Yes. We're out of time, I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay, I'll come it's back. Okay, it's okay, Tony. It's all I'll right. The NWO will still be there. <laughs> anyway, so they grab Tony Schiavone's son and uh, QT Marshall drops him with the cutter and well, <laughs> it's Gallus. 
Why the good for the staff? Most Schadenfreude tastic butt rock theme tune you've ever heard. No more BS. It's BR butt rock. Paul <laughs> White comes out to wreck QT Marshall for his insolence. But of course, because we're going to get a goddamn match between Paul White and QT Marshall, which I'm not not into because it's only going to go four minutes. He scarpers from the ring. He's awakened the slumbering giant who's been slumbering on dark elevation. Poor, what's he called? Aaron Solo. Uh, Aaron Solo, yeah. He, I watched him because I'm thinking, oh, you're in that bad spot. You're in that spot where you have to register the moment of, oh my God, after so long, Paul White's going to do a choke slam on this network or this family of networks. So I have to register this moment. So that means one person has to like stand there and pretend to choke. Mm. I watched Solo do this and he was great. He did about 10 <laughs> seconds ago. Uh, it's fantastic. Like, I'm always reminded of John Cena doing the same thing when Brock Lesnar has to register. Oh my God, it's Brock Lesnar going to do an F5. And it's just John Cena just looking like <laughs> deed with his eyes open. But um, <laughs> Solo did well because he's better than John Cena because most wrestlers are. He eats the choke slam and we are going to get... This would be a lovely little buffer considering the superstar, megastar work rate match that we might be getting it all out. We need something like this. Uh, what are your thoughts on the whole segment? There are 25 people on this roster that I would happily see Paul White work with. QT Marshall is not one of them. Um, so that was my first thought. My second thought was like some save. You let him take the move and then you stroll to the it's not it's a, it's a walking rather than a running, and the big moves already happened. So that felt a bit weird. It's like he's not actually like he's up by the end. It was like Sean Michaels no selling the punt. He was like dusting down, he's like, he'll be fine. Uh I, it wasn't for me. Um I'm not like this is not sort of, oh, God, why have they hired a big show when they should have hired Paul London? Like, I'm not daft. You you absolutely can use him. But this just, I just didn't feel it. Like, the best thing I could come up with that I actually wanted to watch from this was what I said to you, and that was half in jest, is big show going for the WMD at the same time where Gogo goes for the midsection punch and the two of them flooring each other with their hard fists. Um, aye. Let it play out and see where it goes, I suppose. Yeah. My distinct impression is that when you've been just confronted with these glorious teasers of Danielson, of Tanahashi, of CM Punk, my distinct impression watching this was, yeah, people don't really want to watch Paul White in a match. You know what we've never said in all this time where we've been waiting for Rampage, not just since it's been announced, but before it even exists. You know what we've never said about AEW? Yeah, well, yeah, they need bodies. So we best uh, best get Paul White to put the tights on. If anything, it's like there's so many talent, there's just not enough time to use them all. And it's like, so why are you making Paul White put the tights on? <laughs> like we've that's never that. said as well. We've never said, oh, who do you really want Paul White to face? When no, nah, it's not come up yet. Even though the Omega match would be good, even though there's value to a Darby Allen. Again, 25 guys. KT Marshall probably ain't one of them. Yeah, I mean, I'm not hyped for Paul White in ring run. If I'm being honest, I didn't think that crowd was either. This all fell quite flat um main event on which i have differing opinions um was chris jericho versus wardlow if you've not seen the match and i know that our aew listeners do watch this unlike the raw ones which just want to just <laughs> be reminded yeah okay i should not watch this show basically for those few who haven't seen it this match is basically the latter period wwe brock lesnar match in which wardlow just repeatedly kills chris jericho over and over and over again 
power bombs instead of German suplexes. And there's a great spot early where Chris Jericho strikes Wardlow with um, the code breaker and they do the kick out at one. Um, that was really strong. From there, Wardlow just completely annihilated Chris Jericho. Amazing show of strength. Like, not being funny, Chris Jericho's not the smallest he's ever been. And at one point, according to, I think it was Sean Rossap on uh, Twitter, Jericho's belt broke, which allowed, or sort of forced, sorry, um, Wardlow to sort of break his hold. But he just mm. used his sheer brute strength to lift him back up and away from a position of totally dangerous peril. So that was great. Um, Chris Jericho does eventually come back and in what I thought was a really good spot because for a split second I thought this was really captured well by the production Chris Jericho gets Wardlow in the walls he positions him so that his legs are so close to the ropes but they're being trapped his arms are completely away from the ropes it looks like if anyone's going to tap out to the walls of Jericho that's Almost, other than the dead center of the ring, the perfect place to do it. But, of course, that sets up Chris Jericho, uh, sorry, MJF, um, interrupting. This distraction eventually fails, however, because when MJF tries to get uh, the Wardlow, uh, the diamond, dynamite diamond ring to Wardlow, gets caught by referee Aubrey Edwards. Everyone's facial expressions are brilliant here. In what I thought was really tremendous usage of the Wardlow character and how to protect him. Obviously, we say all the time that word has been cannibalized, but it does have value. And Chris Jericho, knowing he can't beat this guy because he's an absolute monster, decides to revert back to his heel colors for one night, gets Floyd, whacks him, and then hits him with a Judas effect for the win. Problem with doing the Brock Lesnar layout is that you're reminded that as good as Wardlow is, Brock Lesnar is literally inimitable. That was my key problem with the match that I thought otherwise was really quite well done. I was more impressed by the way that they protected Wardlow than I was the actual action and quality of the match. Yeah, I, I can't fault them for choosing this formula. I just don't think it felt particularly effective. And you're probably right. Maybe that wasn't something I'd considered, but the direct Brock Lesnar comparison might have harmed this more than I realised because it's just, as a viewing experience, I, I didn't find it particularly exhilarating. I wasn't particularly buying into the drama. Um, what else? Something else that like sort of knocked me about this. I'd, this has always been a slight niggle at the core of the Labours of Jericho thing. And it's to be honest, it's existed since the pinnacle have existed. Like... MJF stipulated that he would be ringside. Why did he not add that he couldn't be ejected? Like, I, I know that the job of the babyface is to kind of get around the ridiculous stipulations that MJF has set the opponents, whatever it might. I, I get that. And I know that, like, you've got to allow, there's got to be a bit of dramatic license, I guess, that comes at the expense of some of these characters. But just that, it just that felt a little bit too flawed. Like, we yesterday, were, and this is not a case of, oh, well, they didn't do my fantasy booking, so I don't like it. But what's so great about AEW is that like it forces you to really think about how you're going to fantasy book this finish or how realistically could do it. Because it asks like these pretty big questions in order for you, because you respect the logic of it enough. And I just thought, like, oh, the referee throws out MJF and that's the distraction that opens up for Jericho. I just felt like, oh, come on. Like, I, th I think you've got more in you than that. And then... Ultimately, you know, it's it's to it's all to get to the the next part, I guess, which we'll we'll cover now. But mm, not not great. This like they didn't hit a home run for Wardlow here. For me, MGF didn't did say that MGF didn't stipulate that he couldn't be ejected because I think the more you add layers on, 
logical though they may be, you limit your window, you narrow your opportunity to tell the story that you wanted to tell. Mm. They wanted to do a direct mirror symmetry to the all out 2020 finish. Yeah. So that you were to think, oh Christ, MJF and Wardlow are going to have a feud later on. Especially off the back of the opening segment where they're kind of peppering that in again. And yeah. Yeah. So there is that. And secondly, for me, the more you add these wrinkles, the more you detract from the threat of Wardlow. If he keeps giving mm-hmm. himself outs in the parameters of the match that he's made, you're sort of tacitly telling people that this character doesn't believe in Wardlow to get the yeah. job done. Um, so those are the two explanations I would provide. But yeah, I think the problem, uh, fundamentally, an absolutely superb idea because I thought having absorbed yet another loss was really well done in the way that it protected Wardlow. But at the same time, the story of the match really demanded that everyone thought that his back was getting broken or he was in serious danger taking all those power bombs. Because with Lesnar, you know that he's, at one point or another, like probably the hardest man on the entire planet. Mm. The reason why that formula worked to a point is that you think he's so powerful that if he doesn't control this perfectly, someone's getting landed on the neck. Mm. Like, just with all the will in the world, I love Walter. I think he's a tremendous prospect and indeed talent. Just ain't Brock Lesnar. So doing the Brock Lesnar match was just too much of a stretch. In the aftermath, um, uh, Sean Spears runs in to jump Jericho, which draws uh, Sammy Guevara to make the save. Um, Wardlow and MJF um, come back in to beat on Chris Jericho. Then in a monster pop, <laughs> Jake Hager, honestly. Hager himself. Deserved, I think, honestly, as a heater, he's class as this sort of destroyer coming from the bench. Who was the Sunderland player who used to come off the bench for years and was class? Did he have like a bench guy? Uh, we probably haven't, no. I'm trying to think if there's anybody we've never had. Have we had a good player before? Probably not. Um, Niall Quinn in his later stages was better off the bench than he was starting. <laughs> so in football, for the people who don't watch soccer or football who we've lost, there's a substitutes bench, and it's always like a difference maker. Mm. Someone who you know is probably not good enough to do your start in 11, but get him on and he can get you a goal. Basically, Jake Hager is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I was just going to say he's Solskjaer, but a giant version of him. He's got yeah. like the, the blonde hair and the slightly Nordic look as well. I do want to see him that often, but like does what Lily does so well that he's going to get an actual pop. This is his yeah. 1999 Champions League final moment. Absolutely class. So with the uh, the, the odds evened, MJF and his um, pinnacle comrades retreat, and he lays down the stipulation... And he lays down my stipulation. Sorry, I had to correct myself there. And <laughs> um, for the final labor of Jericho, MJF, he drops the mic and he says they are on for the last dance, is it? Uh, the first dance? Uh, it's next Wednesday, I think, isn't it? Isn't it Dynamite? I think it's uh, Rampage, last dance. Oh, okay. Right, I thought I thought he was saying next Wednesday. You might That would make sense, though. It's a big match for Rampage. A big match for that. Um, so regardless of when it is, I'm pretty certain, but you know, we'll clarify but, um, the Twitter comments below. He says that we're on for next week, but there are two big stipulations. You can't use the Judas effect. This is a tried and trusty MGF device. Again, it speaks to the core of his little bastard manipulative character. They've really built this move as well. Like when you do things that sometimes seem drab week upon week, like Chris Jericho has a match with someone and it's eight minutes and it's interrupted by a commercial break. And it's not that great. It's not the kind of thing you get charged about, but he wins those matches with the Judas effect every single time. Mm. Do boring bits 
on these shows functional bits to make something like this have absolutely outrageous drama. So that's the first stipulation. The second is that you can't come out to Judas. Idiot mouth breathing spreading fans <laughs> can't try and get on telly by singing it. You are to come out to complete and total silence. What I like about this is I thought of it. Second thing that I like about this is you're going to get this absolutely horrific attempt <laughs> from the crowd to do it on his behalf, and it's going to be so confusing. And on the off chance it works, it will be quite a powerful moment that MGF can sell. As, no, 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 this is not how it was meant to be. We're meant to power him with a belief by, you know, appealing, appealing to his gigantic ego by singing his fucking song. If they get it wrong, MGF's face is going to be a picture by laughing at how stupid it sounds. So what do you think of the post-match? We'll keep it brief on the preview because we are doubling our AEW content. <laughs> what do you think about the post-match angle? I, I like the Yeah, I do like the stipulation. I have both um, a callback and a payoff fear to make that Judas thing work. What did Chris Jericho do after um, uh, Stadium Stampede? He put things under every fan's chairs. The lyrics to Judas in full are going to be under every fan's chair and he's just going to like ask everybody, like he's going to come on the stage or something or in a pre-match promo saying, uh, Max, you think you've thought of everything, but everybody look under your chairs. And then you've got this like chorus of fans holding the lyrics in front of them, getting to sing him out just to undermine uh, MJF's plan yet again or something along those lines, perhaps even a free t-shirt with the lyrics written on the back, who knows, but like something along those lines, a big daft stunt to make that work because Jericho still thinks he's the master of this game and he can outthink and he can sort of survive all of these labours. Um, the one thing about it happening here is, I guess, where it goes for all out. Um, not the, for the first time, they've kind of sold something theoretically is happening all out and instead it's going to happen on television instead. And I'm not against it because this hasn't felt terribly pay-per-view worthy. So I'm kind of in favour of this happening on television. And if this match is going to go to pay-per-view, the stakes are going to be, we are going to get that Jericho has to leave or we are going to get something different out of these two for the pay-per-view, which, so I'm just, I'm happy about that. It's, for my money, it's a good use of the, the time instead of putting this on the all-out card. I agree. I've got two more thoughts before we um, finish off. One, your fantasy book and idea about the lyric sheet under the chair and how Chris Jericho can outwit him one last time. The finish to this match, in addition to calling back to All Out 2020, actually called back to Full Gear 2020 as well, that very first sort of sportsman-like exposition, uh, exhibition between MGF and Chris Jericho where they tried to outsmart each other at the finish. Mm. Rules got reversed here, which I thought was very, very clever. And I've completely forgot the second point I was going to make. <laughs> no, I've thought about it now. I'm com in complete agreement. Because we're going to get, like, in theory, Pac versus Andrade is going to be a total banger. Fast-paced, high-impact, etc. CM Punk, whatever he does, whatever follows, Jesus Christ, good luck. Like, really good luck on that. The road. women. <laughs> Probably. Probably. Um, like, Kenny Omega's going to have a match. People are going to, like, the Young Bucks are going to have a match. If you put MJF and Chris Jericho there, no matter how over both these guys are, no matter how, how no matter how much people are into the storyline in the R, I feel like the pacing of this match, given the two people who are in it, would suffer badly for no reason in itself, just on that pay-per-view. So I think it's the perfect place to put it. Mm. Uh, but if you think it would serve better on the pay-per-view, let us know in the Twitter comments below um, this update at WhatCultureWWE. Uh, whilst you're there, you can follow us at 
Michael my, Hamflit. Sorry, <laughs> Michael Hamflit. Wilborn's so good at his job. He deserves more respect. You can follow me at Mike uh, M Sedgwick. You can follow Adam Wilborn at Adam Wilborn. And again, you can follow the whole crew here at What Culture at What Culture WWE. But for now, we'll see you soon. <laughs>